Welcome to the Successful Farming Podcast. I'm Jody Henke. Jacqueline Leffler is the fourth generation to return to her family's Kansas farm. She works full-time with her father, Bill, growing corn, soybeans, and wheat, along with raising a beef herd of feeders and stock cattle. Jessica Wesson, a recent graduate from the University of Arkansas and an intern with Successful Farming, talked with Jacqueline about her success as a high school athlete, receiving a full-ride scholarship to Kansas State University to pursue a degree in kinesiology, why she ultimately chose farming as her career, and the deliberate decisions her family is making to pass the family farm from one generation to the next. Tell me a little bit about yourself and who you are as a person, specifically your childhood and growing up on the family farm. What was that like for you? Yeah, so I grew up in America's Kansas, which is in Lyon County, um, East Central Kansas. And we live right here in the Flint Hills. And so growing up, being in grass country, we were lucky enough to be really involved in 4-H projects and have stalker and feeder cattle on our operation. And Ultimately, that got us involved in 4-H, and 4-H is really what, you know, showed us a work ethic and showed us, I guess, the cool side of agriculture and what that really looked like. And as a kid, I think, you know, you, you watch your parents work so hard on the farm that sometimes it, it makes you not want to be involved as much because you see how much hard work it is. But 4-H kind of gave you the glimpse into the fun side, and, and that fun side is what I still enjoy every day today, and I think that's what kind of keeps me here. And so... Um, I'm fourth generation with my sister, Natalie. She's a school teacher and teaches high school math at Emporia High School. And this was her first year. And so um, it's been really fun to, to have all four of us, both my parents and then my sister and I, living on the farm, working on the farm, and just doing that day-to-day interaction of not only as a family, but as business partners as well. Great. That sounds like an American dream, honestly, and that's how I grew up. So I can appreciate that from my point of view as well. Um, So when you got into high school, you discovered, you know, you had a passion for athletics and you were a pretty good athlete, right? You got an athletic scholarship to K-State. So how did that shape your decision at that time to focus your studies in college and what you thought you wanted to do after graduation? Yeah, so I didn't really have a normal high school experience when it came to athletics. The coach that I had, Rick Ginter, he was actually a former college coach. So I kind of trained as a college athlete through uh, high school, and it really gave me an idea of what the NCAA would look like. But it is a business. Um, It's not just all fun and games like it shows on TV and in Sports Illustrated articles. It's a lot of hard work, a lot of dedication, and a lot of injury, too. I learned a lot about perseverance through six or seven major orthopedic surgeries. You know, you'd compete one year, you basically get run through the chute and have a surgery, get fixed up and do your next year. But, you know, being able to have the opportunity to not only get an education, but to get a free education and capitalize that by taking extra hours, taking summer classes, taking intercession classes, you know, that gave me the opportunity to get two degrees in five years, 100% paid for and no debt when I walked out of college. And so I went to Kansas State University, but I completely didn't want anything really to do with agriculture at the time. But I found myself in a group of people after church around a dinner table that were all involved in the vet department. And so obviously all of our conversations ended up around our farm, ended up around animal science type things. Um, And then I started volunteering my time and coaching a, a local young kid who's now number one in the nation. And I'm so proud of him. 
Sam Hankins, and his mom is now the dean of the vet department at K-State. And so I found myself surrounded by all of these people in agriculture, and I thought, why wouldn't I want to go back to that? But unfortunately, the way the NCAA works, I wasn't allowed to change my degree to ag because I was already too far into my pre-med kinesiology degree. And then my fifth year, um, I had to basically pick another degree that I had already completed enough of to keep my eligibility. Um, And so I ended up with a family studies and human services degree in my fifth year at K-State. And so I kind of ended up with two degrees that I meshed together. And in my head, I'd probably go into sports ministry or some type of college coaching gig, which I did do. You know, hindsight's always 20-20, but... My dad always jokes that I went to Kansas State and didn't come home with ag, but I also didn't come home with any bad habits. So I've got to learn from him and my grandpa instead. And and that's been a huge, I think, advantage too, you know, they kind of got to groom their next person that's in line to take over the farm. But being involved in other organizations and stuff too has given me just as much as I think a degree ever could have. So I guess I'm happy to be well-rounded. Well, so you've graduated college and you've got a kinesiology degree and you're coaching but you still have that nagging feeling that, hey, I belong on the farm. So how did you transition from your interest in athletics back to the full-time job on your family's farm? Yeah, so basically our renters had moved out of what used to be my great-grandma's house, and I almost just needed a storage unit, and so I had moved all my stuff home into that house the year that I graduated that summer and kind of moved in and kind of thought, oh, I'll just look for a job and figure things out. And I started helping my dad that summer on the farm, and I got a phone call that summer. Um, We were actually at an auction. I'll never forget it. And it was my old high school coach who had went back to college coaching, and he was getting ready to quit again. And he said, hey, would you like my job? So I ended up at Emporia State University while working on the farm as well. So if you think farming is a lot of hours, I can tell you farming and coaching at a Division II college is a whole lot of hours. And unfortunately, they're both jobs that don't make a lot of money. And so I was working a lot, not sleeping a lot, and not making a lot. So after a couple years of that, that's when I kind of decided, hey, I need to figure out what I'm going to do. My grandpa was starting to slow down a little bit, and I was really used to the Division One. And Division Two was just a little bit different, and I, I so appreciate both levels, but it, it was my time to figure out what I wanted to do, and that's when I developed Left Their Prime Performance and, you know, just decided, hey, I need to be on the farm, and, you know, I'm the one that's going to make it keep going a, a couple more generations, and so that's when I decided that, you know, you can give up one dream to pursue another dream, and it doesn't make you any less of a person. I'm lucky enough to have a private coaching business and still do the whole farming and ranching gig every day to kind of have the best of both worlds. Sometimes you have to make your dream into your own reality. And, you know, I think that's just kind of what I did. As you were returning to the farm, did your family express any concerns, maybe the physical demands as a female working on the farm or maybe any safety issues? Or did you have any concerns yourself about returning to the farm full time? I think uh, my main concern was whether or not I could just work um, with my family every day and then still retain that family relationship. And I think, too, you know, I see how much my dad and grandpa worked growing up. And it's kind of scary to see that 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 is your life. It's not just a job. It becomes your life. And figuring out that balance was something I knew I needed to do early, um, which is why I'm involved in so many different things, because it gives me that outlet to do other things. 
my grandpa was the one that was super excited to have me back. My mom was super excited. You know, all she ever wants is her girls to be home. If you ever talk to her, that's the first thing you're going to hear out of her mouth is my girls are home. They live just down the road and it's her favorite thing in the world. And so she loved the idea. My dad is the same way. But at the beginning, I think my dad just had a hesitation of can another generation make it in ag? You know, what does that look like? It gets harder and harder every year with input prices going up and your check is still the same almost. And so, you know, I think it's really hard for that next generation to allow that generation to come in, just seeing that it's getting harder and harder every year. But, you know, that's where we just have to do better with efficiencies and and make sure that we're looking long-term and looking to see that we can continue to make it. And I think, you know, different avenues of ways that you sell your products was a great way that we've done that. And that's where kind of my business, Leffler Prime Performance, comes into play. But I can't say that anybody was super yes or super no on me coming back. But I think right now we can look back and say we all made the right decision of me coming back and being home full time. I can tell you from experience, my dad is also super protective, so I understand. But when you come back to the farm, you I think you discover things about yourself. So what were some of the strengths that you discovered in yourself when you came back to your family farm? Yeah, I think the main strength uh, that has always kind of shined through of me is that lead by example kind of person. Words don't always have to be said. I'm a big believer in hard work pays off. And when it pays off, it'll pay off big. And I think that's just what I've done my whole life is just grind. And I think that's what I'm learning here on the farm. If you put in the time and put in the work and put in the effort, you know, you're going to survive that next year. And making sure that I'm just loving those around me and that support system continues to hold me up every day. And so I think that's what it is, is just being a strong, independent person, whether I'm female or a male, it doesn't matter. It's just putting in work. And I think so often we get so tied up in our strengths and our weaknesses, but if we can just learn to capitalize on what we're good at and do better and be better every day, we're going to continue to be successful. And so That's just kind of what I've done. And so far it's paid off. So I'm going to keep doing it. So your work and your effort has led to the creation of something called Prime Performance. So what is that and why is that important to you? You've talked about it a little bit, but can you go into a little bit more detail? Leffler Prime Performance, um, I guess the the name of it, I'll break that down first. So Leffler is obviously my last name. Prime is my beef that I sell. So custom beef for butcher. And then performance is my private coaching aspect of it. And so Leffler Prime Performance is basically where my two passions in life have collided. And I sell custom beef for butcher direct to consumer. And then I coach area local kids. I have kids that drive up to three to four hours to do lessons. And so I usually try to do that on Sunday afternoons. This year, we've kind of had to take a break um, with the pandemic and everything, but you know, just like you and your internship going virtual, I've went to kind of virtual coaching and looking at a lot of videos for kids and providing them feedback that way. It's been really fun to see two complete opposite passions combine into one business. It's been a lot of fun. And you mentioned it already, COVID-19. How has that affected other aspects of your business? How has that affected you? For one, it shut down my coaching business, and I knew that right away. Um, I wasn't able to use public facilities, and so I knew that was a part of my income that I wouldn't be able to rely on. And so when I started getting phone calls coming in to buy beef from me, that's when I realized this is going to be a great way to make up for my coaching money that I'm not going to be getting. And 
next thing I knew, my phone was just ringing off the hook because it's something I've done for five years and had in place. So typically I sell about 15 to 20 head a year this way, direct to consumer. And as of June of 2020, I've sold 150 head. I'm booked out till December 22nd. Um, I think I sold over 7,000 pounds of hamburger. So I'm booked out until 2021 on it until I can get more butcher slots for hamburger animals. It's been incredible. It's been a really great way to connect, to tell the story of agriculture, tell my personal story. You know, just talk and answer questions. It's amazing how far removed people are, even just to their food. And I'm not even talking the farm. You add that in and that's a whole nother element to it. But I'm answering questions of, do I have to cook all of this meat when I bring it home and then freeze it? Or do I have to have a generator in the back of my pickup and a freezer to take this beef home when they're only going 30 minutes? So people just really have no concept of what it means to buy direct from a farmer um, when it comes to their beef. And so they're just so used to that convenience of I can go pick up fresh meat at the grocery store, take it home and cook it. And so this idea of having a whole freezer full and unthawing it one piece at a time to use it is this huge new concept that really our grandparents have done their whole life. And it's, it's starting to make a comeback and I am so excited. It's been an incredible experience. I've had a load of support from my friends and family. Um, sharing their talents with me to make sure that I can keep up, whether that's one of my friends, Mindy, who has done all my photography and helped me get a website going really fast, or Megan Kramer at Kansas Farm Bureau on the communication side, you know, just making sure I'm doing a good job of answering questions, or Rick McNary, he created a shop, Kansas Farms, on Facebook and had over 100,000 members in two weeks and just exploded the whole idea of being able to shop from a farmer. It's the coolest thing, and I'm so excited that I've had all these networks and connections in place to really capitalize and thrive in this moment. So, yeah, we're in a pandemic, but I also think we're in a new world that's being created that almost takes us back a couple of decades. And I, I'm super excited to, to see where it goes and see how long it lasts and just ride out the wave with it. When you started Prime Performance, did you ever think that education would be such a big part of your job? Did you ever think that you would actually be teaching people about how to take care of their meat and whether it should be frozen or thawed, you know, that sort of thing? Did you ever think that that would be something that you would do a lot of? If you would have asked me that right out of college when I came onto the farm, I would have said, that's not my place. That's not my job. But in 2017, I went through Kansas Farm Bureau Leadership KFB class and and that class, it really taught me that agriculture can look different. Um, it doesn't have to be that traditional form and traditional way. And Jill Caston, she mentored me and taught me and showed me what that really looks like, you know, to look through the consumer's eyes, you know, to see agriculture, not, not just in my own boots every day, but to really look outside my county lines, look into niche markets, look into different ways where you can connect and make an impact. And Going through that class taught me that, you know, she did a great job of mentoring me and helping me become the person that I am in agriculture today. And I'm so thankful for their organization. And I also went through Young Stockman's Academy with KLA, Kansas Livestock Association. And, you know, they did the exact same thing with me. And we handed out beef samples in grocery stores in Kansas City and got to talk to consumers. So having all of those experiences, I think, helped me be successful um, while dealing with all of these people that live in the cities and, you know, 
even rural people that still just don't quite get it. But how can they get it if they're not living it every day and we're not telling the story of it? And so definitely now it is my job. It's a part of my job and it's a part of my job that I truly enjoy. And so it's been fun for me to take the time and talk to each one of the people that buy from me and make sure all their questions are answered. But, you know, minutes add up to hours and hours add up to dollars because you got to pay yourself. And that's something we don't do very well in agriculture. And so I'm learning efficiency. And that's, you know, that's where my website, LefflerPrimePerformance.com came into play. I I laid it all out. So now I can refer people to that. And that does save me those minutes that add, add up to those hours. So um, it's a learning curve, but I'm super excited to, to keep learning and keep educating along the way. And I don't think a lot of farmers realize, you know, how much of their job is educating the consumer. So I'm, I'm glad that Farm Bureau and other associations have allowed you to learn about that. And speaking of Farm Bureau, you've had quite a bit of involvement with them. I see that you went to um, New Orleans for the American Farm Bureau Federation Convention. And then you also competed in discussion meet at your state Young Farmers and Ranchers Conference, and you won. So how has, you know, organizations like Farm Bureau and Young Farmers and Ranchers been a major influence and support for you as you become the next generation to lead your farm? Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of farm families that can say that they've had three generations walk onto the steps of Washington, D.C. and of our capital and get to lobby. And it's organizations that have allowed my family to do that. Um, My grandma and grandpa have went, my parents have went, and now I have went. And It's those organizations that are making an impact and, you know, they're making an impact in a way that not only provides me of education so I can do my job well, but networks. And the thing that, you know, millennials love the most is experiences. Young Farmers and Ranchers has really provided me a network of friends through Leadership KFB, who I just love dearly. And we still talk every week. Their staff are my friends and you know, they, they want us to succeed. They want us to do well. They get us involved, you know. And so I watched my friend Jackie Munt, who was in leadership KFB with me, win the discussion meet in New Orleans. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh, that doesn't look too bad, but I would never do that. And so I got pushed by staff uh, the week of the deadline to sign up for Kansas discussion meet. And I ended up winning it. And then I went to Austin for AFBF this past year. And competed and didn't really know what I was getting myself into because there's not very many people um, that are competing in it that are full-time farmers and ranchers. Most people have some type of lobby job or that's kind of what they're used to doing. And so it was completely out of my element, but I ended up in the final four and I got to sit on the main stage and it was an incredible experience. Um, I ended up in fourth and I'm so competitive that no, I'm not happy with that at all because I like to win, but The experience was invaluable. The people that I met that I competed against, it's amazing how fast you can form friendships in agriculture. I mean, it sounds so cliche, but we really are a big, happy family. I mean, it's it's been incredible. And I'm so thankful for not only Kansas Farm Bureau, but American Farm Bureau and all the support that they've given me in just my short time. You know, I don't think I would be where I am. I don't know if I would still be on our family farm if I didn't get those experiences. Same with Lori at Successful Farming of allowing my family to come down to Commodity Classic. Things like that is experiences, you know, and those experiences provide you those networks and connections. And those are things that I use on a daily basis. And so they're invaluable in my opinion. 
Jacqueline's family farm goes back several generations. When we come back, Jessica talks with her about the history of the farm and how the hard work and progressiveness of her parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents have molded her. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. How about we talk about your farm's past a little bit? You know, you said you're fourth generation. So what has your farm looked like over the past four generations of Lefflers? And how has your farm molded and kept up with the times? I was really lucky. Um, The first generation, which would have been my great-grandparents, I never met my great-grandpa, but I actually got to grow up with my great-grandma, and she lived in town, and so she provided me a little bit of that town life as a kid, and so I learned a lot from her of just what it looked like um, for somebody that went through a Great Depression, what it looks like to save and be frugal, and you know, those are experiences from her that I learned, and I still hold so true to today with me. Growing up down the road from my grandparents, you know, watching them work hard and put every penny into the farm and into making that their life so that it could be my dad's life and now mine. Just watching that hard work has been something that I've seen as a legacy. It's something that, you know, we've always done. But the main theme that I have really seen through every generation is just making sure we're efficient and progressive. My grandpa never told my dad no when it came to being progressive on technology. You know, maybe my grandpa didn't want to be in the tractors with all the fancy computers, as he called them, but he didn't tell my dad no, and he let my dad continue to be progressive. My dad really is the one that introduced auto steer and grid sampling and making sure that we were getting the most out of our acres. We've always talked as a family how we could sure grow to be bigger, but we would rather make sure that we're getting the most out of our acres as opposed to just growing big to grow big. And so I think that's kind of been the main thing that we've really worked on through my dad's generation. My role has kind of been introducing more technology. And so whether that's field view with Monsanto Bear or whether that's trying to figure out what hybrids are going to work best on our farm. We use our seed dealers. We use all sorts of people that help us make those decisions. And I think my generation is here to not only incorporate that technology, but to also make sure that we have a great group of people surrounding us to make those decisions. And so that's kind of what it's looked like on our farm over the last four generations, just a lot of progression, a lot more efficiencies, trying to make it so two people can do every job and not have to have big workforce. You know, we used to always have hired hands and we figured out that if we can just be more efficient ourselves, Um, That not only saves us a salary that we have to pay out, but it also makes sure that it gets done and done well to our expectations. That's something that, you know, we've just tried to capitalize and do better as the years go on. Technology is wonderful, especially in times like this with COVID-19, and it's almost the only way to connect with your consumer base. So I can imagine how your farm's utilizing that sort of technology as well. You mentioned that part of your role was bringing that technology to the farm. Do you have any other roles on the farm at this moment? Yeah, so in the summertime, I take on most of our grass cattle every 10 days, putting out mineral, checking our herd, um, running all the pastures, making sure all the flood gaps are in. And then the other part of 
The farm that I kind of take on is marketing our fat cattle direct through Leffler Prime Performance. And so it's kind of a value added business, but it so cohesively fits through Leffler Farms Inc. as well. And so those are kind of my main roles that I take on. Um, my sister takes on more of the bookkeeping. She helps my dad with the books a little bit and puts it into QuickBooks and makes sure that it's ready to go for our CPA to look at so that we continue to know when and where we can spend money and how we can utilize those funds the best we need to save and hold on tight for the next year. So you've talked a lot about your beef cattle industry and um, how you produce beef, but does your farm produce anything else or has it ever produced anything else or have you all always been four generation of beef cattle? We have stockers and feeders um, at our feedlot, and then summertime, those feeders turn into stockers and go out to grass. We're also a row crop, so corn, soybeans, and wheat. We're kind of one of the few people that really are putting in wheat acres around here on a consistent basis. Um, A lot of people use it as a rotational crop, but we're really trying to push yields and, and figure out how wheat can be a valuable crop and not just rotational. And so... We're trying to push yields as high as we can. A few years ago, we hit 80, which is kind of unheard of around here. And we're trying to do some different things and do them well. And corn and soybeans are are obviously the breadwinner around here. Um, We're super fortunate to have some bigger elevators here that take those and feedlots that will take high moisture corn, which, you know, will give us a little bit of a boost on price and be able to grain bank that corn for our cattle. And we're in a really unique area, a really unique um, structure of how we can sell our crop. Cattle and crops is kind of our thing, and that's a pretty consistent thing across Kansas. So what does the future of your farm look like? And for you specifically, as your role changes, how is that going to evolve in the future? So I kind of just see our farm really staying the same crop-wise, um, if anything, Try to just figure out ways to make our soil produce more and make sure we're taking care of the land, continue to clean up farms, you know, maybe expand if we can. But um, like I said, we're, we're more into the, the world of trying to figure out, you know, how to just be efficient with what we have and make that work for us um, on the cattle side. I don't know what that looks like. We're in such a a new, different time trying to figure out, do we try to have our own fat cattle year-round so that we can have monthly butcher slots and be able to sell year-round and ship year-round? You know, what does that look like for us? I I really can't tell you that right now because I'm only eight weeks in into this new surge. And so I'm, I'm just excited as everybody else to see where it goes and see how long it lasts. But I really do think we're going to start trying to figure out how to have fat cattle year round, um, how we can capitalize on that because it ensures a profit. And if we can ensure a profit, that ensures that we'll be around another year. So that's kind of what it looks like. I think one other thing we might really try to start pushing, and I never thought I would say this, but really push that grass cattle market. Everybody wants grass cattle, but trying to figure out how to do it in a way that's sustainable and in a way that can be quicker. I'm not sure what that looks like, but I'm excited to start figuring out, you know, what that could look like for us because those do bring a premium. So everybody kind of has their own opinion on that. I do like to, to sell a few of those in August because they come right off the Flint Hills grass and they're ready to go and it's easy that way, but I don't know what that would look like to be able to do that year round either. So. We have a lot of things to figure out, but I like to problem solve. So I'm super excited to to get to try to solve those problems and ask good questions and find people that can answer them for me.
you know, who knows? The sky's the limit on everything ag right now because there's so much technology out there. And and you mentioned your soil. And I, I kind of want to go back to that because, you know, soil is the foundation of any farm, no matter what you grow or what you produce. And you're on both sides. You have animal and crop production. So what are your soil types and how do you till that? What are your tillage practices for your soil? We kind of range quite a bit. We have anything from hilltop to river bottom. We sit right on the Neosho River. And so we can get that really clay type gummy soil to soil that just dries out really, really fast. We're really lucky. We've balanced most of our pH levels. And so that allows us to try a lot of things. I think too, being able to capitalize and know what your, your soil profiles are is allowing us to try new trials try new hybrids, try different things. And so that's something that I'm excited to see as we progress and as new technologies come out, see how they can help us do better and be better and produce higher yields. That's kind of what it's all about right now. So we've talked a little bit about the future of your operation and the fourth generation, you and your sister, Natalie, how does that transition look for you guys? You know, how, how is that going to take place for you as well as your sister? We were lucky enough. Um, my grandparents were super involved in the transitional process into my parents. And then my parents um, were nice enough to bypass on some to my sister and I already. Um, and so we already have a stake in the corporation and we're a subchapter S and, you know, that allows us to get some of those tax benefits. And it's a lot of asking questions, a lot of open communication. And for right now, I'm trying to buy some land of my own, buy cattle of my own, continue to develop my business. My sister is more on the side of just helping when she can. as She has a full-time job in town, helping with the books. It's one of those things that you continue to work, even though you may not get the rewards right away. You know, agriculture is a, it's a weird industry. You know, you wait till you're 60 to be the boss. And I'm lucky enough that even though that's the case on paper, my dad and I work together every day and it feels like an equal partnership, even though that's not what the percentages say on paper. And I think there's a lot of legalities and stuff to estate planning, but more open communication, the more questions you ask, the more input that you put into things is so important because if, if you don't ask, you won't ever know. I think the sooner those conversations start in a family, the easier those transitions will be. Transition planning is something farm families have to go through to keep it in the family. When we come back, Jacqueline talks about how her family is working on transition planning and also offers advice for those who are facing this in the future. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Transition planning can be pretty tricky. So from your personal experience, what are some of the important points of this transition plan that took extra planning and why? We took the time to go in as three generations that were still alive, my grandparents, my parents, and then my sister and I, uh, we all sat in the lawyer's office together. There was no secrets. We had open communication. 
we all talked it out prior to going into that lawyer's office. We talked it out with the lawyer and then we talked it out afterwards. And the more open you can be and the more questions that you ask, I can guarantee you it's going to make that process so much smoother. And one of the things that I highly suggest to everybody is write down your questions, because when you start taking in all of that information from somebody that may not be putting it in layman's terms. I know you can get caught up on their vocabulary of thinking of what did that word mean that he just said, and then you're not going to remember those questions that you had. And so always write down those questions. You know, I keep a little note open in my phone for any and every idea and any and every question that I have, different things, you know, that I'm just continually jotting down because we live in a society that's so busy that it's so easy to forget our thoughts and forget our questions and they're important and we need to remember them. And so I just always suggest to write everything down and this way you can't forget it. And if you do forget it, it's, it's your own fault for not looking at it when you're in that meeting and asking. And so that's the major thing that I kind of learned through that process is don't be afraid to ask questions. If it's going to be your livelihood, you need to make sure that you're asking good questions. You need to know what's coming. So when did your family start planning for this transition? Because when you went to college, you didn't think you were coming back to the farm. So had y'all started planning before you went to college or was it much later after you graduated? My grandparents and parents already had things put into place for them. And then my parents had kind of just written out just a small, you know, more of a will than a trust. And then we developed into a trust. That's when my sister and I got more involved in the process. But sometimes it's hard to, to do that too far in advance until you start to see that generation or two generations really above you start to phase out. It's hard for you to kind of get put into that transition too. So because you never know what it's going to look like or where you're going to be year to year. And every three to five years, we try to sit down as a family, kind of go over it. And then if we see things that we need changed, we either make a phone call or set up an appointment and go in and talk to our lawyer and adjust as we need. It's an evolving process. It's not something that you just do once. Um, it'd be a lot easier if it was, but times are continually changing. Regulations are changing. Laws are changing. And if you don't keep up, you're going to be left behind. And you mentioned earlier the open communication between you and your parents and how that was important. So why is that so important to you and your family? I think just being transparent. Um, the more transparent you can be, the more trust there's going to be. And I really think it's just as simple as that. If, if you can build a relationship on transparency and trust, there's nothing to hide. And so there's nothing anybody can really get mad at or say they didn't know. It's really just that simple, in my opinion. How will this plan be affected if you or your sister decide to get married? For example, would you want to require a prenup? Is that something that you're looking into? Yeah, I think it's something that's definitely needed. I mean, farming is not a, a cheap industry to be in. Our equipment is expensive. Our assets, our land, they're highly valuable. And unfortunately, we live in a world where you just, you hope the best in everybody, but you just never know and you never know what could happen throughout the years. And so for me personally, yes, I think a prenup is a great idea. I'd view it as the same as I'm going to put insurance on my vehicle just in case something happens. Why would I not want that same insurance on myself? And so that's how I view a prenup is it's only going to be put into effect if something goes wrong. And our hope is that, you know, nothing ever goes wrong and that would never even have to play into things. 
that's kind of how I view it. I think a lot of people, it has this negative terminology and negative idea to it. But to me, it's just an insurance to make sure I'm covering not only myself, but my sister as well. It's not just me that has a stake in the fourth generation. It's her also. And, you know, I I think she feels the same that we should protect one another and protect ourselves just as much as we would protect our relationship. Family farms disappear for all kinds of reasons. And if you can protect yourself from as many as possible, why not? So talking about the family aspect again, and you seem to have a close relationship with your dad. So tell me about that and what it means to be able to work alongside him. Yeah, I think it's just something, you know, a lot of my friends talk about their bosses and talk about their corporate life that they're living in and working in. And it's just a whole different scenario. I love that I get to work with my family every day. I love when we get to share meals in the field. I love that, you know, when I radio over to the combine, if I'm in the grain cart, it's my dad that's answering. I think it's just something that you don't get to see all the time. And people that aren't in family businesses, they don't understand Number one, it's hard. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's not always easy and roses. And sometimes I come home and I'm irritated. But knowing that it's family, you get over it a lot quicker. You realize that there's so much more there and that there's more to come too. Hopefully someday my sister and I can get married and we'll find somebody and have our own kids. And then they'll get to share that with their grandparents and us someday. And So I think it's just that, that whole idea of just family and the camaraderie that that brings. You know, and it's special too. Every project that you work on together is going to be there to look back on. I know when I came back home to the farm my first summer, my grandpa and I built a set of pins um, in a pasture up north. And now, even though my grandpa's not on the farm anymore and he's an assisted living facility, every time I take mineral out to that pasture and I see those pins, it just makes me feel so happy because I can see that family connection that was there within that project. And I have so many of those projects with my dad as well, the pins at my house that we built this year. It's just those projects, I think, are great visuals of the relationship that we had. And you can remember the conversations you were having when you were doing those projects. Memories with a boss, you know, in a corporate setting, I think those will fade away a lot more than they would at a family operation that I get to enjoy every day. It's wonderful to see your family farm surviving to the fourth generation, but unfortunately, the reality is is that a lot of farms don't survive as they get passed down through the generations. So my last question to wrap up today's conversation is about advice for somebody who may not have ever undergone a farm transition. What is your advice for a first-timer or somebody who didn't have a solid plan put in place before they took over the farm? I think something that I learned was utilize that network of friends that you have that are also in agriculture. Even before you go and talk to your own family, from my own personal experience, I used my leadership KFB network of friends. And we talked about estate planning and talked about how each of our families are doing it or not doing it. I learned a lot through their experiences at different conferences. Make sure you go and listen to the estate planning workshops. People will talk and ask questions because most of the time at those conferences, they're not sitting next to their neighbor. And that helps, I think, have that dialogue. You know, I made sure that I was talking to people outside of my own family. I was listening at workshops. I was asking questions. And then when it came to have those conversations with my family, I didn't come in with a closed mind of this is how our family has done it and always going to do it. I had different ideas to bring to the table. I asked questions. 
You know, I gave experiences from friends that I had talked to on what they had seen or done. And so it's it's just like anything. You don't walk into a meeting and be unprepared. And so, you know, you just have to educate yourself and prepare yourself and make sure that you're always asking questions. Because if you don't ask, you're never going to know the answer. And I think you just set that baseline of, hey, we want to continue to see this to go to the next generation. We have to have open communication and transparency. And I think that's what really brings upon success and allows families to continue the legacy that they've built for all these generations prior to themselves. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for taking time and letting me get to know you and more about your story. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks to Jacqueline Leffler for her perspectives and our intern, Jessica Wesson, for the interview. And thank you for listening. For Successful Farming, I'm Jody Henke.